In the beginning, after God created the heavens and the earth and its creatures, he created humanity. You and I have the distinct honor of being the crown jewel of all of creation. Genesis 1.26 tells the story. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over all the earth. And so human beings came into the world and we were given a job, a role. We were to be stewards, meant to rule over creation as representatives of God himself. And you know the story. We messed up. Our sin tainted and infected all of creation. We fell. We brought death into the world, and God, in order to set us back on track, in order to make a way for us to be forgiven and redeemed and his forever, God put on flesh. God the Son came to earth as a baby, destined to die for our sins and to be raised again after three days. But three years or so before his death, he started a ministry. God became a rabbi, and he showed us how to live the kind of life that he wants us to. And our series that we're in for the next three months or so is about doing what Jesus does, and we're pulling from the Gospel of Mark, stories from the Gospel of Mark, to help us see how to do that. Today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. And that's the focus of our sermon this morning. We're going to look at how Jesus sees human lives, particularly the vulnerable ones. You see, part of being a Christian is recognizing the incredible privilege that it is to be human. And believing that because we are all made in the image of God, that every human life is valuable. Every single one. Every human life is valuable. But Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is typically focused on the most vulnerable among us, on children. And so that's what we're going to focus on today. Please stand for the reading of Scripture. We're going to be reading from Mark 10, verses 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. You may be seated. This passage talks about Jesus' affection for children and his offense at them being hindered and coming to them. This word indignant in verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and he said to them, let the little children come to me. That word is a a terrible one to use because indignant sounds like annoyed. But this is the same word for the kind of anger that the Pharisees and keepers of the law had for Jesus that led them to put him to death. This is not a small word. This is a great offense. Jesus was offended. 
that they would try to keep the children from him. Now, a lot of people have wondered, what exactly did he mean by anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it? I mean, because being an adult is, is a good thing, right? One of the things that's neat about this story is through the Gospels, every now and then, Jesus will take something that's, that's common, that's well-known, that everybody already thinks, and he'll, he'll take it and he'll turn it upside down down. Basically, Jesus is saying, instead of children looking up to adults, sometimes adults need to look up to children. Instead of children just always wanting to be like their parents, sometimes parents should want to be like their children. There's something about children, some special quality that Jesus is telling us that we're supposed to have. And I think a few of those are things like delight. Sometimes adults just take ourselves way too seriously. Do you know anyone like that that just takes themselves too seriously? Children are able to laugh at themselves, and I think that that's a godly quality. Children are open. They're willing to believe the things they've been told. They don't need to have every single thing proven over and over again. The openness of children, I think, is one of the things Jesus wants us to emulate. But most of all, I think it's about trust. There is no trust greater than the one that a child has for their parent. A trust that their needs are going to be taken care of. A trust that if you said a thing, then the thing is going to happen. An absolute reliance, belief, trust. That kind of childlike trust is, I think, what Jesus is telling us we're supposed to have when we enter the kingdom. To trust him in the way a little boy trusts his father. Thinking about children, they, they spark not just delighted they don't just have delight in themselves they they have to, they spark delight in us too and we've got a couple pictures i wanted to show to just kind of illustrate the delight that we can be, we can feel from children and we see just the joy right everyone knows there's something special about children when you see this young lady everybody knows that she's very special and the next one i loved this picture I believe it was taken of Children's Church some months ago. <laughs> or maybe some years ago. Um, but I loved this picture. I loved the smiles and the joy. These are children excited about learning about God's Word. You may recognize one or two of them. And then I wanted to play a game with the next picture. <laughs> On the left, let's play Guess the Strewbar. Who thinks it's Mark? No. It's Jake. That's Jacob Strubar. Hey, who's that next to Jacob Strubar? I think that's Associate Pastor Ben Henderson. There's no sermon reason for me to show you this picture other than the delight it brings to me. Jake Strubar texted me this a few days ago and said, 
see if you can find a way to show this in church. And I said, <laughs> you got it. So I felt delight from the children in that picture. Children are important to Jesus. In the Gospel of Mark, they show up over and over again. He's raising them from the dead or delivering them from demons. And he is always, always welcoming them. Every single time Jesus encounters a child, he welcomes them. The perfect picture of this is in Mark 9, 37 where he says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not just welcome me, but the one who sent me. This is how much Jesus treasures children. He tells us both what we, that we need to be like them, and he says that to welcome a child in his name is to welcome Jesus himself. If we're going to do what Jesus does, then we need to welcome children. Now, in this series that we're in, we're going to have some hard sermons. This morning's is going to be one of them. We're going to talk about how we can value children as Jesus does, and I expect that it will be hard for some of us to hear. But I think it's important for us to talk about because when we look at Jesus and we decide to do what he does, he's going to lead us to places that are uncomfortable. There's a reason that Jesus was not popular with everyone. There's a reason that they put him to death. It was because he said things that were right and true and very, very convicting. I want to talk about politics for a moment. Because the sanctity of human life intersects with our politics in several places. We tend to be very sensitive about our political beliefs. And I think that there are a few reasons for that. But perhaps the main reason is that we have this terrible habit of identifying ourselves with one political side or the other. And so any suggestion to change one of our beliefs feels like a push to change who we are. That's why so many of us feel so much dread at Thanksgiving when that one relative with the wacky ideas starts talking. It hurts somewhere for us to be challenged or called or pushed to examine and perhaps let go of or change some of our political beliefs. And that makes it hard to talk about politics because our beliefs become so important to us. And so some of us, we work hard. We try to keep our faith and our politics separate. Or perhaps we just get to this place where we feel like one party or the other, one identity or the other is the Christian one, and we don't have to worry about it any more than that. But hear me. Please hear me. It is an absolute mistake to think that we can keep our faith and our politics separate. Jesus will not allow us to. And if we are going to follow him, then whenever our po politics collide with his kingdom, we're going to have to surrender them to him. And surrender is hard. But there will be times that our politics collide with the kingdom. 
When that happens, we're called to surrender. Jesus welcomes children. There are three ways I want to talk about us needing to do the same. First, I want to talk about something we as a church need to do. We need to welcome children into the church. That's not controversial, right? We can all get on board with that. One of the things that I think every Christian adult has to do is really examine their hearts and ask themselves, how important is it for the children in our church to be connected to our church, for the children in our community to be connected to a church? Because if the, if the, the decision is that it's very important, then it's going to require some sacrifices. One of those sacrifices might be some of your time. What if that belief that it's important for children to be connected to our church means you might have to spend a few hours a year in the nursery? Are you willing to do that? Man, I have to tell you, we are terribly underrepresented among uh, nursery volunteers. And I can't figure that out. It does seem like people think, well, this person has been a mom, and so she can be a nursery volunteer. But there's like usually another part of that equation. Man, I would love it if some of us would step forward and be willing to be volunteers in our nursery. Perhaps in children's church or Sunday school. Not just men, but everyone. Maybe thinking that it's important for the children to be connected to our church means you might have to volunteer. Are you willing? You see, a lot of the times with our faith, we, we feel like we're prepared to do the big things. Jesus, ask me to cross a mountain or, or to climb a mountain or cross an ocean. Ask me to do something incredible and huge, and I will always do it. Jesus, ask me to get up an hour earlier on Sunday morning, and that's just too much. Most of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, can admit that that's true. How important is it for us that our children be connected to the church. I want to encourage you to consider volunteering. Another thing I want to say specifically to parents. This is not, uh, this is not from Ben. This is from me. Parents, it is so important that your kids are connected to youth group. Now, coming to youth group is not some kind of a guarantee that your kid is never going to have a faith struggle. That's not how this works at all. But I can say, having been a youth pastor for the time that I was, there is a difference in the kids who stay and are regularly connected and involved in their youth group when they go off to college and they struggle to find those connections and to stay in their faith. Again, there's no guarantees here. It's not what I'm saying. But study after study shows that the more relationships a young person has when they go away from the home with people in their church, people of different generations, people that are just like them, people that are not just like them, the more of those ties they have, the more likely they are to stay connected to their faith when all of their support system is all of a sudden gone. Parents. Get your kids to youth group, please. 
So the first thing we as a church need to do is we need to be willing to welcome children into our church. Now I want to talk about two things that we as individuals need to be willing to do. As individuals who are blessed with a voice and a vote, we need to speak up for the most vulnerable people in our society, and those are children. And that starts by welcoming them into the world. I'm talking about the issue of abortion. Now, when we talk about something this sensitive, there's something I want you to know. If this issue has affected you personally, none of what I'm about to say is about judgment. None of it is about judgment. All of us have done things that we wish later on we hadn't. I have never been in a position where I've had to make a horrible decision or been, been, been put in a position to make a decision like that one. And so I don't want you to hear judgment here. And it's, it's also important for you to know that we worship a Lord who forgives, who loves. Having struggled with this or being affected by this does not mean that you're out or less a believer or less a part of our family in any way. In 1973, abortion became legal in the United States. Since then, in our country, we have legally killed more than 45 million children. This is, as a side note, this is one of the biggest problems I have with people who want to think of America as a Christian nation. Let me be very clear. America is not a Christian nation, not only because we don't have an official religion, we don't, but because we continue to engage in a thing that is best equated in the ancient world to child sacrifice. And we do it at a rate far beyond any other country in the history of the world. We're world leaders here. That puts us much closer to the tradition of Egypt and Rome. Pharaoh and Herod were both known for the killing of children. And brothers and sisters, that's true of us as well. So the question is, what are we to do? The first thing, this is something for us as a church. Evangelical churches are known as places where a person who's had a baby outside of marriage will not be welcomed. They'll be judged. Calvary, we have never, as far as I know, been that church. I don't know of anyone that's come here and felt judged. But we must be vigilant and intentional to make sure that the people around us know that never, no matter what has happened in their life, do we think that we are better Never can we allow anyone to think that we believe that they're somehow less in God's eyes than we are, because no person is. It is important for us to reach out with love and acceptance and encouragement to those who are different than us or to those that we feel like have done something that they shouldn't have. And I want, to, I want you to remember this too. 
and this is so important, it is never a sin, never a sin to be pregnant. It is never a sin to be pregnant. It is incredibly brave to carry a baby and to give birth outside of marriage, particularly because there is another option than the judgmental glances you might receive for doing so. Yes, we believe that the proper place of physical intimacy is within marriage, but once the pregnancy happens, it is never sinful to keep the baby. It is an act of courage and bravery, and shame on us if we've ever made anyone to feel otherwise. How can we help? What can we do? We can make sure that people know that they are welcomed here, that they're accepted here, that they will be loved here. Another way we can help is with our voice and our vote. Did you know that women with low incomes are much more likely to get abortions? In America, 23% of women having abortions say that the reason is that they cannot afford the baby. Listen to me, this is important. We may disagree on the how, but making sure that people have access to good health care and help for raising a child is an essential part of being pro-life. It's okay to disagree on how, I'm sure that many of us do. But that is absolutely a part of being pro-life, desiring to make it possible for people to have the help they need to become parents. So we want to welcome children into our church. We want to welcome them into our world. And the last part of this I want to talk about is we want to welcome them into our country. Beginning in 2014, there's been a surge in families coming to the southern border and requesting asylum in the United States. The asylum seekers are mostly coming from places like Guatemala and Honduras, and they're fleeing things like poverty and gang violence and corrupt governments that will not protect them. We currently have a situation where tens of thousands of these asylum seekers who are fleeing from violence at the hands of gangs and corrupt governments in their home countries have been arrested at the border and separated from their children. Now, I don't want to spend any time talking about how this situation came about. If you feel passionately about politics, you have a strong idea of that and probably someone or some group in mind that you blame. I don't think there's any benefit in us having an argument or a discussion about that, especially not from the pulpit. But I want to say that something we should all be able to agree with is that this is a situation that believers who want to follow Jesus should have a very hard time with. Now, some of these separations are temporary. They only last about two months. Then, when the parents are deported, the children are sent back to them, or they're placed with a sponsor in the U.S., or with foster care, or with a relative. Other separations are permanent, and they can be done if the parent has any kind of a criminal record in their home country or here. That includes traffic violations or trying to cross our border outside of a port of entry. That's enough for children and parents to be separated permanently. 
Now, this may already sound bad, but it does get worse because of the volume of children. Safety concerns require treating them like they are incarcerated. They're separated by age and gender. They're given a short amount of time outside every day. They're kept in sparse dorm-style rooms with fences for their safety and to keep them from escaping. If we're going to be people that care for children as Jesus did, this is something we should find unacceptable. Now, how do we fix it? Because it's big and it's complicated. And the idea of just saying, here's a simple solution, is insulting and not helpful. This is something that people, no matter what your political persuasion is, should be bothered about. So how can we help? I should have made a slide for this. I apologize that I didn't. You can actually give to organizations that are helping to reunite families or sponsor a child. UNICEF is is an organization with an incredibly high trustworthiness that's incredibly easy to use. You can directly give in a way that will change or affect the life of a child and parent being affected by this situation today. You could do that today. That's an incredible blessing to be able to help in a real, physical, tangible way. How else can you help? As we said before, with our voice and our vote. If we're going to be believers who follow Jesus first, who consider him to be our Lord, our first allegiance, then we need to be willing, even when it's painful, even when it threatens our our political tribal identity on the issue of abortion, on the issue of, of this border crisis. We need to be willing to let go of our political affiliation for the sake of caring for children because that's what Jesus does. He cares for children. Every single human life is sacred. Every single human life is made in the image of God. And that means it should not be possible for us to put aside the suffering of others as unimportant because every single human life is made in his image. And if we're going to take that seriously, there are a whole whole host of things that we didn't even get into today that that should affect the way we see should affect the way we think about things like the death penalty, about the extent of medical care, about things like euthanasia. All of that is wrapped up in the sanctity of human life. And that's the thing about Jesus. He will not leave you alone. If you spend much time reading the Gospels, you will become uncomfortable. It happens every single time I read through one of them, at least At least once, I find myself haunted by something he said, because if we take him seriously, he demands so much from us. Now, of course, we don't have to be perfect to be saved. Of course, he forgives our inadequacies. Praise the Lord that he forgives us when we stumble. But to follow him means to put him first. And that means that we need to look at our lives through the lens 
of his lordship. And if he's called us and set us the example of caring for children, of welcoming them, and that means that even when it's hard, even when it hurts, we need to heed his call. One of the important things about this issue of, of caring for children is it isn't just their lives that are at stake. It's also the view of our faith that the children around us have. Because they're going to see the way that we wrestle with things, that we're willing to let go of things. They're going to pick up on how important our faith is to us. And if we're going to follow Jesus, then we, need, we are called to live lives that show the people around us that we're willing to put him first, even when it's hard. Pray with me. <coughs> Father God, we come before you. Many of us uncomfortable, Lord. Thankful. Knowing we are blessed by you. But sometimes following you is hard. Lord, we pray that you would help us. You would give us wisdom, strength, and courage to navigate these difficult parts of living lives following you. Lord, we pray that you would convict us in the parts of our heart that need to change. If there are convictions that we have that you've called us to let go of, make those clear to us and give us the strength to let go of them. If there's something that we are passive about that you want us to be passionate about, we pray that you would help us to hear that as well and to walk fearlessly after you. Give us your eyes, Lord, to see the people around us. Give us your heart to love with and change us, Lord, to be more like you. We pray this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.